Hello, and welcome to Healing Trauma Mamas. I'm your host, Madon Wingo. Thank you for joining us as we share in our stories and experiences of healing from childhood traumas and birth traumas. Listen as we discuss our struggles, our failures, our strengths, and our victories, and all those lessons we've learned along the way. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. Well, usually I have a guest come on and we have lots of discussions about their history and things that they've learned and we have a back and forth. Today is just going to be me, your host, Madon Wingo. I decided that I thought you all might want to hear a little bit more about my story and my perspective, how I got here to the Healing Trauma Mamas podcast and and what's been happening since then. So bear with me. This is a little different, a little out of my comfort zone, but so is being a podcast host. So I think we're going to get through it fine. So stick with me. I will be discussing um, some hard traumatic events um, in my life, but um, if you're able and in a spot where you can stick through to the end, I think you'll be encouraged. So, this is all about my personal journey. Uh, You'll be hearing a lot about, you know, what has happened since I was a little child. And something, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you would know that I don't have a whole lot of memories before 10. I have a lot of repressed memories. I have regained some memories. Um, 10 years ago was the first time I regained a little bit of memory. And then about two and a half years ago, I gained quite a bit of some traumatic events back. And then I've had a little bit here and there. Um, And something that has always occurred to me that I've thought about since I knew that I had such repressed memories was that, do I have to remember them all in order to overcome them and heal from them? That question was on my mind often. And I'm here to say today that you do not. I do not have to remember all those. Um, I can just acknowledge there was a lot of stuff. And I can ask for help in casting that stuff aside in a way and move on from there um, without having to give those memories any more of my time and my thought and my emotions. So I just want you to know that if you are dealing with repressed memories or anything like that you do not have to remember them all now I do remember bits and pieces and I recently put a timeline together it was really for a doctor I was going to see that very excited to see and I decided to put a timeline together of my life for him and it was really interesting as I went through there um, just listing off it ended up being four pages I still condensed a lot down but Um, it was really interesting for me to read through and think about some of the things and have it bullet pointed and it just when you look at your life in that perspective it's it's a little different Um, one of my daughters happened to see it sitting on the table and she asked if she could look at it and I told her well I warned her that you know there's some really hard things in there you may not want to look at that and she said oh no I think I think I can mom I've heard you talk enough about things I said okay So I let her read through it, and then she looked at me when she was all done, and she said, Wow, Mom, that's a lot of stuff, and you're not even 40. (laughs) So um, I got to thinking about that for a little. I'm like, you're right. That is a lot of stuff. However, I always go to 
in my mind that there is somebody, I'm sure lots of people out there, who've had a lot more stuff than me, who've had a lot more trauma than me, who've dealt with a lot more things. Now, that doesn't make my trauma less, um, but I do want to always try to remember that, that, you know, this is not, this is not going to take me down a terrible depression rabbit hole. Um, this is just information to help me acknowledge and then to move forward. And sometimes it helps to have it all written down just to be like, oh yeah, okay. Yes, that happened and that happened. Um, so thankful I'm not still in that anymore. It really does give you an appreciation for where you are today and what you've been through. And honestly, what a strong person you are. And we often, and I say myself personally, I don't often think of myself as a strong person. In fact, I think of myself more as weak. And why couldn't I have been stronger? That's not the truth, though. And I'm here to tell you today that we need to be speaking the truth. And we need to stop listening to the lies that our mind tells us all the time. And that possibly those abusers and those other people tell us. And we need to claim truth and profess truth to ourselves and to others. And I will tell you right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice that myself here. I am a strong person. I have been through a lot. But I am strong and getting stronger by the day. And... This is an opportunity, my life is an opportunity to be able to strengthen somebody else and be able to encourage them and um, help them grow where they are and be able to overcome what they've been through. So all that being said, I want you to know that this is not um, a poor me story. This is not a I had it worse than you. This is nothing like that. This is strictly just uh, information so that you can kind of see some of the things that I've been able to overcome or I'm in the process of overcoming and honestly what God's been doing in my life and how amazing it has been and uh, just claiming that truth that I am strong, I am an overcomer and uh, I'm looking forward to what the future holds. So, starting at the beginning, um, I was born in the hills of the Ozark Mountains. Uh, that's in southern Missouri. It was a rundown home in the heart of a commune, um, which a lot of you would refer to that as a cult, and I do a lot of times. Um, it was a Mormon New Age cult that was an offshoot of the Mormon church that um, even the Mormons denied um, <laughs> that they existed and that they were part of the Mormon um religion either. So um, I was delivered by my great-grandfather. He was the patriarch of the group and he was also a lay midwife. And I was the third child um, to my biological parents. Um, they did end up having more children also after me. Um, four more after me um, and a loss. Um, but I was... Um, from what little bit I know, I was a fun-loving, blonde-headed beauty. I loved to sing, and um, I saw everything with a smile on my face, right? Everything was beautiful and wonderful and perfect. Um, but in the place of a commune, uh, of a cult life, I, I was taken advantage of um, in many, many ways. 
And uh, one of the first that I now can recall um, was my great-grandfather molesting me. Um, he would hold me down on his lap also and make me sing for him. He, he really just, I don't have memory of all the things that he did. And I thought for a long time that those slight memories I had, I was not positive if they were him or not. And um, I've gained some knowledge recently and realized that they, yes, absolutely were him. I could identify that. Um, but that just makes me sad right away um, that a great-grandfather would take advantage of his um, great-granddaughter. Um, and he was quite an old man um, at the time um, when I was five and six that I recall um, of him taking advantage of me. Um, I do remember that when I was five, my six-year-old brother passed away in a car accident. Um, and when that happened, my biological mother broke both her wrists, I believe, um, and was in the hospital. My brother was in the hospital on life support for, I believe, about 30 days. And the rest of my siblings, we were all split up between different people who lived at the commune. And that was not pretty. Um, I've had a few um, memories come back from that time and just feeling horrified and like I couldn't protect my siblings, especially my little sister, and um, just wanting to be back with my family again. And I don't know the amount of time that we were away from each other. Um, I know it was quite some time, though. Um, my guess would be around six months. Um, and that, that was a really hard time. Um, I do think that there's a reason I don't remember a lot of that. Um, I'm sure, you know, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast, that our brain protects us. And a little girl's brain, when she has severely horrible things happening to her is going to protect her for the future. Um, and I thank my brain for doing that um, and how God designed our brains to do that. I think that's um, such a protection for us. So I know that every, all my siblings, you know, we all had our own demons to face and endure. And um, some of us still have to deal with those same demons now. And some of us are able to heal and, and grow and, and get over them and, and it really my heart breaks for my biological siblings that are still dealing with stuff today. I unfortunately am just not at a place where I would be able to help them with that at all but I do encourage them if they happen to be listening to go seek some help. Um, there is help. You can grow and heal and, and get over it but I, I know just from the little bit I know of my history and their history that there's a lot that they need to uh, work through and I and I really pray and hope that they are doing that so after we were all split up I, I know it was several months later and you know I would think that escape would seem like a very sweet thing um, but at the time you know my my poor little self didn't know that there was going to be so much more tragedy that was going to strike um, I'm sure I was happy that our family got back together again, um, but we ended up moving, um, so that was great. We moved states. We left the commune. Uh, my great-grandfather died. Uh, my brother had died, and um, there was a lot of memories and things going on there, I'm sure, and ill feelings, and I know there was just 
record in the commune cult life um, by the leaders um, when the patriarch died. And so I think that's the, one of the reasons that we left. It wasn't because they didn't believe in the cult life, but it was because they wanted to have something a little different, a different cult life. And since that wasn't available yet, they decided to move to a different state and while there, wait for a new cult slash commune to start um, wherever that happened to be. It, it ended up being in northern Arkansas. Um, but at the time, I didn't know, you know where it was going to be. I don't know if I knew much about All I knew was they had weekly phone calls with the what was going to be the new patriarch. I knew they had weekly phone calls with them, and that's all, that's all I remember um, of that time. Um, I do remember that life seemed wonderful because we got away from the commune. And although we were going to join them again, it was, you know, it seemed fresh and new. And I kind of remember having that feeling that, ooh, this is new. This is great. Um, but it didn't last long. I don't know how long it was um, when we lived there. But to understand a little bit, when the commune that we lived at, I mean, everything was supposed to be equal and everything was supposed to be divvied up between everyone. Nobody owned anything. Everybody was supposed to trust everyone. And children ran to and fro in and out different houses. You didn't call your parents by mom and dad. They were called by whatever their name was or their given name by the patriarch um, who, who named everyone he helped deliver. So I was one of those. That's where my name came from, Midon. And um, there was a Lots of things that happened there that whenever my biological parents left and, and went out, they were very naive. And I can see that logically thinking about that now. Like, I'm sure they were very naive. They were used to trusting everybody. Although, that was not a smart idea when they were at the commune either because I know a lot of things that happened to me there that had I had parents that were being loving and, and protecting, those things would not have happened. And so I don't know about everyone else there, but I do know for me and, and different stories that I've heard the same things have happened. Um, so that naivety and um, really, they didn't know a lot about the outside world. And that's really hard because when you're in a cult, you don't know you're in a cult. And when they came out of it, it just seemed like foreign to them in a different world. Um, even though I know my biological dad lived out of the cult for about 10 years of his life, his teen years, I still think they had a very um, unrealistic expectation of what the outside world was like. So they trusted everyone around. They let us kids run all over the place. Um, my big brother and I were expected to take care of our younger siblings. We had a lot of responsibility. And uh, let's just think about that for a minute. I was seven and he was nine. Um, so that's a lot of responsibility for some very young uh, children and I remember feeling that responsibility and the weight of that um, I don't remember how far it was that we had how long we had lived um, in the new state it was New Mexico at that time before this tragic event happened now to kind of I say backtrack but we're actually gonna go forward a little bit so my whole life I remember being told of a bicycle accident I had when I was around seven 
And the bicycle accident was so bad that I was told I'd never be able to have children again. I, I say again, excuse me, that I would never be able to have children because it had been that bad. And I was told this story of how it happened over and over. I could, I could tell you the whole story, um, exactly how it happened, even though I don't actually have any memory of that bicycle accident, quote unquote. Um, but the, the moral of the story was that it was my fault. I chose to switch bikes when I got to the top of the hill with a boy whose bike I didn't know, whose bike brakes did not work, who I didn't have permission to be riding bikes with, and went down the hill and hit a rock, did a double flip in the air, came down on my stomach with the handlebars between my legs, and uh, a neighbor girl helped pick me up and, and carry me home, and then I was in a lot of pain, had a bruising that lasted for several months. Um, yeah, this is the story that I was told. And my siblings could tell you this exact story. Like my younger siblings, who were not, some of them were not even alive during that time, would all tell you this story. And the interesting thing is, I remember thinking at one point, why wasn't my brother there too? Wouldn't he have known exactly what happened? Wouldn't he have a little different perspective? But he didn't. He had the exact same story. And it wasn't until later in my life till I experienced a very bad traumatic birth and pelvic injury that these memories um, flooded me back of what actually happened. And when I was seven years old, I did not have a bicycle accident that caused me to be bruised for months and to be told I wouldn't be able to have children. I actually um, was brutally sexually assaulted um, by a group of teenagers. And um, my brother and his nine-year-old self, who was taught to trust everybody, um, was convinced that, I, that he needed to hand me over. They would show him what to do to me himself first, which was harmless. And then that he could leave, and then they would all take their turns. And I'm sorry if that's a little harsh that I'm kind of going into those details a little bit, but just the, the thinking about the mental aspect of it. I know my brother, my biological brother, was holding on to that for many, many years. And about 10 years ago, I, when I was flooded with some memories of it, I was able to ask him about it, and he was like, that's true, that really happened. But what he didn't know, in his mate, Brian, he didn't know that the bicycle accident and that event with those teenagers was the same thing. Um, because he had been convinced... So after I was picked up on the side of the road after this brutal assault um, by a neighbor friend, and she brought me home, and uh, my biological parents uh, tried to nurse me, I guess, take care of me. I don't know if they had some pain medicine from my biological mother's arms being broke, and they gave me some of that because I now remember being very woozy and coming in and out of consciousness, um, and then being separated from my family for... Um, several months on bed rest with this huge bruise and in so much pain and my biological parents convincing me that I did not have a brutal attack or a brutal assault every time I would say that's something that's what happened they would tell me no no you had a bicycle accident and it got to the point where I stopped fighting and I didn't tell them I didn't argue against them anymore 
I just kept silent in shock that this is what they were saying was happening. But my tears are because I'm thinking of that little girl who knows what happened and is trying to reconcile what's happened to her and for the people who she thought was there to love and protect her to be trying to convince her that her mind didn't know what it was talking about and that something else completely different happened. Not only that something else completely different happened, but the thing that happened was her fault. I mourn for that little girl because that's such a horrible spot to be in. I'm thankful I didn't remember that event for years because I don't know how I would have survived if I had remembered that the whole time of growing up because it was much easier to go back to the memories that I did have of happy family time of us always having somebody to play with and working in the garden and the orchard and why do people say that cult life isn't good? Like, this is, this is great. I don't have any problem with this. Um, that is an easier thing to remember. I do try to reconcile in my brain and try to think, because I'm always a devil's advocate, um, and try to think of what could somebody's motivation have been? What could their line of thinking have been? And I know that in the cult that my biological parents were raised in, they were taught to fear the police. They were taught to fear doctors um, and to fear anybody on the outside world. So what were they thinking when they decided to convince me of something of the bicycle accident instead? I don't know exactly, but they didn't call the cops. They didn't report the incident as far as I know. I did not see a doctor and it was awful. And even later when I had my first um, pelvic exam, when I was about 17, I think it was, when the doctor tried to do the pelvic exam, I started screaming and crying um, in pain. And he just told me I had a yeast infection and gave me medicine. And I really wish medical providers would be trained more in those aspects because he should have asked questions or the nurse should have asked questions. So after that incident, I, I mean, I didn't and I, I don't have hardly any other memories of, of that time in my life. I have a slight memory of when my little sister was born then. Um, she was born when I was eight, I believe. Um, and that's about, that's about it. Um, we lived there about three years and then we moved to Northern Arkansas to join the people who had left the commune up in Missouri and we're starting a new commune cult in Northern Arkansas. And we went and joined them and, um, you know, all cults have lots and lots of rules. Um, the biggest, all of them to be keeping you in fear because if you step out of those lines, those guidelines, then there's, there's some type of punishment. 
So you have to have fear all the time. And I, I do remember always walking on eggshells in that cult. Now, I granted, we did a lot of fun things. We took hikes. We grew our, a lot of our own food. We made food from scratch. We crafted. Um, we created. Um, there's a lot of neat, fun things that we did growing up. I mean, we lived in the Ozark Mountains, and so we got to go camping and canoeing and lots of things like that. So if I just told you all of those things that you would think, wow, she had a really amazing life. And I still convince myself of that sometimes. I think, wow, look, no, look, I had this really neat life. But that's just all on the surface. And when you get to the depth of what that life really was like, um, that life was ruled by fear constantly, daily. Um, fear to step out of line and then be punished even as a late teen, I even know the adults were punished. Um, fear to displease the Lord. Fear that uh, we were told that we were the people going to heaven. And that we were having a perfect lifetime because they believed in reincarnation. And that all these other lifetimes, that we had had six other perfect lifetimes. We had some failed lifetimes, but we had six perfect ones. And this was the seventh perfect one. So being told from a very young age, this is your perfect lifetime that you have to live. Because they believed you had to have seven perfect lifetimes in order to go to heaven. And we were the first ones to finally get to there. That's a lot of weight on a young child's shoulders, for sure. Um, so everything that we did was based on that. Um, I remember walking on eggshells, being really careful of what I said or what I didn't say because it could be taken wrong and the patriarch's wife might be offended by it. And if she gets offended by it, then I'm going to be punished. I remember being really sad that I couldn't call my biological parents by mom and dad. That really was sad to me. And I remember once trying to call um, my biological mom by mom and she never responded to me. I also remember getting spanked once um, by using mom or dad. Um, so there was a lot, a, a lot, a lot of psychological uh, warfare is basically what I would say is happening there. A lot of psychological um, twisting and manipulation. And um, that's not a good place to be. Um, even in cults who, quote unquote, are all love and light. Like this one professed a lot. We're not meant to live in such fear. And I'm just here to tell you right now that that is not life. Living in fear is not life. Uh, we are meant to enjoy life. To have joy. To have uh, God's light and joy and love shine through us and out to others. And not fear at all. So, um, I grew up there in the Colton, Arkansas, till really, um, till I, I was of age. I was 18. And then I, I was allowed to go to a community college. I wasn't allowed to go to a four-year college, even though I had a full-ride scholarship. Um, because I, a woman especially, was not allowed to do that, let alone... Um, the importance of school was not put out there. First off, 
I wasn't going to be allowed. I was allowed to work until I got married. And once I got married, I wasn't going to be allowed to work at all. And second off, that's why I didn't need to get a four-year degree at all. But I was allowed to get some type of secretarial or computer graphics or some type of two-year degree that I could use in the meantime until I got married. Um, I'm thankful that they at least allowed me to do that because that's where I met my husband. Um, so in a community college, uh, we happened to meet there when I was 18. Um, coming up 20 years ago this month, actually. Um, so that's pretty awesome. Um, we met. There was a lot of manipulation at the cult, um, a lot of writings from the patriarch daily sometimes about this is what the Lord's saying today and this is what the Lord's saying, you know, about this or that and he knows this is going on and that's going on and why the Lord couldn't just tell us himself, I don't know, and he had to be through the patriarch, which happened to always be coinciding with what his wife wanted to happen. Um, anyway, uh, it was a closed cult commune so people weren't allowed to just come in and join the church um now however they would treat strangers way better than family members who did decided not to join um so when they had moved to arkansas um i know a family member of my dad's my biological dad's had tried to stop to say hi to us found the address and came and she was not welcome at all um they were given permission to visit with her a little bit but that it was actually my my paternal grandmother but that uh, they could not she couldn't stay on the premises that she had to go down to a gas station to meet them at I mean that seems insane um but a stranger could show up at the doorstep and be hungry or need something they would invite them in and give them a meal um so it just flipped upside down so this whole idea of love that they talked about a lot like that was really hard for me to understand what that really was because we didn't I mean, in my ideas that we treat family with love and not disdain, and strangers we're a little more cautious about, even though we want to love them and try to help them too. That's not that's not what what they preached. That's not what they um, modeled in front of us. Um. So, I met my husband and we started dating. I was allowed to date, thankfully, and um, I had given him. Uh, well, I'm just really thankful for him because I gave him some of our Mormon documents that he was supposed to read. And then if his spirit was supposed to join us, then he would agree with it and he would understand what it meant and la, 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 all these things that they would say. Um, and, you know, at this point, I'd been brainwashed for 18 years. So this is all the things that I was I was thinking and I was like I love this man I want to marry him so he's got to come into this cult with me and I gave him this Mormon document that he was supposed to read that the patriarch had written and he was so loving and so gracious he looked at it he read it he said do you believe in the Bible and I told him yes and he said well you know the Bible does is contrary to the Book of Mormon I'm like no 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 they're the same or they 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 go work together really well and he said really here, let's get them both out. And he happened to have a copy of both. <laughs> so I give him props for that. And he was able to pull them out. And through a long series of conversations and dates, so we were able to have lots of conversations. And he just really showed me the truth. And he showed me, you know, real Jesus. And 
um, not the one that I had been told about my whole life to fear. And um, I'm extremely thankful for him, of course. But I did decide, like, after the Lord was really pulling on my heart and my husband um, really helped me a lot. And he was so gracious and loving. And at the time, we weren't married yet, but I knew I wanted to marry him. And I would went to my biological parents and told them, that, you know, I really want to marry this man. And my biological dad said, I have nothing in common with him. I don't want to hang out with him at all. I talked to the patriarch and he said, no, we wouldn't be allowed to get married. And I realized then that I, why was I trying to see about him coming into the group? I know he won't come into the group and I needed to leave. And I would say that was the hardest thing I think I've ever done in my life um, was deciding to leave the cult because I had five siblings that I was going to leave there and um, I knew it's what I had to do but it was very difficult and when I told my biological parents that I was going to leave that I was 18 that I could leave um, my biological mom told me she wished I was dead that was hard to hear um, I just looked at her in shock that she said that, and she said, well, that would be easier. Um, so, because in her mind, I guess, that meant that she wouldn't be allowed to ever see me or speak to me again. Even though she's a grown adult who can make her own decisions. That's what it meant to join their cult. Um, and my biological dad said, well, make a list of the things that you want to take with you. We'll have to get approval because you don't own anything. Nothing is yours. Even though I paid for it with my money, it still didn't matter. None of it was mine. I lived in a commune. And it was all everyone's. And I had to get permission from everyone to take literally every article of clothing. Um, shoes, socks. I mean, my bed, my dresser, I wanted to take those with me. I did list them. They did let me take most of them. And um, my biological dad said, okay, I'll help you load up. Where are you moving to? He tried to scare me first um, and say, well, you know, it's going to take a lot more money than what you're making right now at your job. And I'm like, I'm aware of that. In fact, I've already found an apartment. <laughs> I think that kind of surprised him. So they literally helped me pack up my things, took me to my apartment, left me and said goodbye. Expecting to never see or speak to me again. Um, and that was hard because I... Um, when you're in a cult and you're trained with so much different mental aspects and taught to be quiet and not speak to people outside of it about so many different things. I actually had a lot of trouble opening up to my husband about things. I would cry every night saying I miss my siblings and he would say, well, then let's go visit them. And I couldn't. And he didn't understand that I couldn't go visit them. It took a long time for me to even open up to him. Uh, we had got married a couple months later after I moved out. So thankful. And um, started our life together. And it went really well. We did, we did well. Um, I had a lot of stuff to wade through. But I took it a little bit at a time. But I also was so used to hiding things. So used to hiding my true feelings about things. So used to walking on eggshells. And that was really unfair to my husband because he had done nothing to deserve that. But that's how I was raised and that's, you know, what I thought. And so I was completely excommunicated, shunned from the church. Nobody could um, 
see me or visit me. My sister-in-law tried to sneak and see me a few times. I tried to talk to my little sister online on Messenger, and they found out that we were talking, and she got severely punished. I tried to go to one of her ball games once. Um, I'd actually already had my first daughter then, and they literally got my daughter or my sister off the field, off the floor, and um, she had to leave the ball game because I was there. So that that was hurtful. I mean, there was so many things like that that happened, and I had to finally just kind of step away and just be like, okay, I won't be able to see them or or visit them anymore, and that was really hard for me. But you know, we'd had our first child. Um, that was traumatic. That was it. I broke my tailbone. I had tons of stitches. I couldn't walk upright for three months after having her. You know, and it, it, when a a woman wants her mommy when she has her baby, it's just something that happens. It's instinctual for us. And I had actually tried to call my mom while I was in labor with my first daughter, and she told me so. <laughs> like, well, I'm in labor, and she's like, okay. That was it. I'm surprised they actually let me and her talk to me on the phone, actually. Um, but, yeah, that was it. That was our like, phone conversation. So that hurt. Um, so we ended up having uh, another daughter about 17 months later. That went really well. We had a home birth, and everything was wonderful. Um, I did have my biological parents decided to leave the cult. Now, it had nothing to do with me. They weren't trying to come see me or trying to leave cult life altogether, but they decided they wanted to do make their own cult and be a singing group and go profess light and love to other people. And I was really, my whole, I had a hole in my heart for my siblings and that relationship I thought that I used to always have with them and my parents. Even though that was all a fake relationship, it was completely just on the surface and not the actual depth of a relationship. So they moved to Oregon and I had contacted them beforehand. We had gotten in touch with each other and we decided to move. I convinced my husband that we should move to Oregon too because uh, he could go to school and I could then have, try to rebuild a relationship with my parents and siblings. In hindsight, that was a very bad decision. Um, although we learned a lot from it, grew a lot from it, true colors came out while we were there in Oregon. Um, I was manipulated over and over and over and being turned against my husband. And when you're being manipulated over and over and over and subtly, you don't realize just like when you're in a cult, you don't know you're in a cult. When you're being manipulated in that manner, you don't realize it's happening. And I didn't realize it was happening for a long time and tell basically a blow up happened and it basically was I needed to choose my husband or them and for a split second I chose them and that was terrible that was a horrible decision to make um but it's the truth it's what happened they had convinced me that he was evil and that he was trying to turn me away from the Lord and that he literally had an evil spirit in him that was choking our child. This is the type of manipulation that they did. Um, and for a little bit, I believed it. But I'm thankful that reality set in. And the next day, I realized there's no way I could leave my husband or my children. 
and I wanted to fight for a marriage and we both agreed he left dropped out of school and we packed up our things and within two weeks we moved back to Arkansas I'm so thankful that we did that I'm thankful for a strong husband who stuck by me because boy I threw a lot of wrenches in our plans and a lot of things um but eventually we did it took a lot of growth a lot of challenges a lot of life to happen for us to be able to mend those broken the broken trust that we had had with each other that comes with a marriage so yeah it took us years years to heal and years to be able to even talk about what had happened there um when we came back my husband actually joined the army and that was difficult on us and we did okay we did okay with it we were really really poor we ended up going bankrupt and then we were trying to so a lot of our life was us clinging to each other which is that strengthens a marriage um, when you literally have just each other to cling to and to grow together that actually makes your relationship so much stronger and I'm so thankful for those hard times that we had because they did make us so strong in the couple that we are today I mean we've been married over 19 years now and that was the worst time in our marriage and it really has just been uphill from there it really has gotten sweeter and um better and we've just grown and matured and mended and and created this ex- kind of like so when when bones break I don't know I'm, I'm kind of a nerd a little bit but if you don't know this when bones break um whenever they heal back together they're actually stronger than they were when they were broken or before they were broken because the body starts putting all this extra cells and extra growth into that area to strengthen it as much as possible because it had been broken. I kind of feel that's the same way in our marriage that happened. Like we were broken for a little while. I mean, very broken. And it took a lot of time and the healing stunk. It was hard. It was painful. But in the end, the healing caused the break to be even stronger and caused our bond to be even stronger and now I'm confident that we could go through anything we can handle it because we've been through so much and then we were still tested later in life um uh, we had our fourth child in Arkansas um we decided to move to Texas because my husband had been working down here for weeks at a time and we would barely see him and we decided this was not the life living apart and we'd moved down here with him we had had a vasectomy um actually right before our fourth was born a few days beforehand and um we decided to reverse that to allow god to shape our family that that was something that had really been on both of our hearts decided to start playing roller derby um which i didn't realize how strong i was i started playing roller derby and and um, that was neat to see. And the one thing about my husband, he is my biggest fan. And we joked because we had a roller derby shirt. that He had that on the back that he was above Ruby's biggest fan because that was my roller derby name. But he really and truly is in every aspect. Anything that he sees that I have a gift for or um, a joy towards or something that he thinks that I would be really good at. Like he is the one to be like, yes, 
go for it. You can do this. You'll be amazing at it. And I just, I'm so thankful for that. What an amazing husband to have. Um, he is, I really feel like if I did not have him, I'm, I do not know what road I would have ended up down. And what a, what a blessing, what a godsend that he has been. Yes, he's is a man. He has faults. He's, we've had lots of challenges, as I said, with each other, but, um, in the long run, he is for us and he is for me and I couldn't ask for a better spouse. So lots of things happened. I ended up having some surgeries. I ended up having, um, abdominal surgery, anal fistula and fissure surgeries. I ended up having, um, a broken collarbone after playing roller derby in a game, getting hurt. Um, my husband got his reversal, and we were blessed with our fifth child. And that was wonderful. We got to meet some midwives here in Texas and had a beautiful, wonderful birth with him. Everything went amazing. Um, and what we didn't know is when God moved us to Texas is that he was going to give us not, a, not just a new life, but family here. And um, now I've actually been adopted. As an adult, I was in my 30s and I got adopted. Um, so that seems kind of wild to say, but um, I met a wonderful couple who just really took our family in and met them through church and they just really became part of our lives. And we did an unofficial adoption for quite some time that we just did it as a gift to them and wrote everybody's names on it and stuff. And we both put one up in our house and then... Then found out later that you could officially or legally be adopted um, in the state of Texas. And I uh, did not know that. And uh, I was legally, officially adopted. And uh, have been now for seven years, six years, I think it is. So that's pretty amazing. And my kids have wonderful grandparents. And they love them dearly and... Um, that has been such a blessing for us. Um, I also came down with this rare tick disease. If you want to talk about trauma, come down with a rare tick disease that nobody in your area knows about. And, um, I was in and out of the hospital numerous, numerous times, 10 ER visits. Nobody could figure out what was going on. It was only by the grace of God. We finally got a name for it, then got a diagnosis. And then I got super, super sick. And I realize now looking through things like God was just showing me so many different things through all these trials. I've learned so much. And um, yeah, I had got this tick disease that just uh, wreaked havoc on my whole body. And it's called alpha-gal in case you're wondering. I, at this time, I'm allergic to all mammal, all mammal byproducts. And um, it can turn your life upside down. Um, but again, thankful for that strong husband and then the strong family now that I had and parents who were truly loving and taking care of me. And that was amazing. Had some struggles through church. Had, um, I see now some ways that I responded to different criticisms um, was due to being in the cult and being on eggshells most of the time and an over-response to certain things. And, um, all these different things just happened through my life. And I kept thinking, I'm working through it. I'm working through it. New things I'm working through. Well, that wasn't the end. <laughs> we had a, uh, we lost a little one in utero when she was 12, um, 12 weeks gestation. 
And it was really sad for our family, but we realized I'd been having some pelvic issues at the time too, and ended up having to have a, my left ovary removed. Um, then we got pregnant with our sixth, um, our, our, our little joy. Um, and I had this mindset that if I wasn't tough and strong, then I made midwifery look bad and I made home birth look bad and I wasn't a good enough mom and I wasn't good enough wife and all these lies, all these lies that I told myself often. And the biggest one um, was that I was a failure and I wasn't good enough. And that even when these negative things have happened to me, that they were still all my fault. Somehow I was to blame. And I know now that that really stems from that, from that quote-unquote bicycle accident, that really, that horrific um, sexual assault, um, being told that that was my fault. I think that is, is the beginning of that. And throughout my whole life, things happen that have nothing to do with me, not my fault in any way, shape, or form, but I still blame myself. And that's something I'm realizing that the Lord's really showing me lately and that that's something I need to overcome. It's not my fault. No matter how many times I need to say it to myself in the, in the day, I need to continue saying it is not my fault. So currently at this very moment, I am in pain. Um, I have been in pain for years now. Um, my last child, whenever I had him, I wrecked my pelvis. I ripped my pubis symphysis, twisted my pelvis. Um, the inner leg muscle was tore. I had a prolapse. Um, I ended up a year later having a his, uh, was it a year later? Two years later, having a radical hysterectomy everything removed, um, and still being in pelvic pain all the time. I had two surgeries, um, well, technically three, but two were together, a right SI fusion, so I had screws put in in my SI joints, and I had a coccygectomy, removed my coccyx that had been busted up so many different times and causing me trouble. Then I had a left fusion, a left SI fusion, which was done with pegs instead, and in that, the doctor actually um, damaged my sciatic nerve and my uh, pineal nerve, I believe is the right nerve to say, um, and had severe pain and damage from that. And then to make things worse, the doctor knew about my trauma and he decided to start ignoring me or ignoring my issues. And that was really hard. I realized then I had a lot of trauma stuff come up again. And I'm thankful I, I had started seeing a, a therapist, a family therapist, and she helped a lot to work through some of this. Um, but as a provider, we've got to look for those things. Um, I don't think that he understood at all the struggles that I was having. The fact that I had even came to talk to him in the first place, to even finally admit that my pelvis was hurting, that I was in pain daily, that I had had such a traumatic birth that I was crying every night because I was in so much pain and unable to sleep. He, I had told him some of these things, 
But when he started to ignore me and say that I really wasn't in the pain I was in, um, that was really hard. I went internal again and I started rethinking, like, uh, is this my fault again? Um, did, did I do something to cause this? And that's very trying on somebody who's already in such excruciating pain. I'd like to read, if you don't mind, I'm pulling this up. This is something I wrote. If you're in our Healing Trauma Mamas group on Facebook, um, you've probably read this. And if you're not, I'd encourage you to join. Um, we're working on sharing our stories and helping each other heal. And last September 4th, and you're listening to this on September 1st, a year ago, this is what I wrote. I'd like to say so many things to the staff at my orthopedic surgeon's office. I'd like to tell them that I have issues that kept me from finally seeking the doctor to fix my pelvis. I'd like to tell them it took me two and a half years to even get here. But every time they are rude, belittle me, question what the doctor told me, they make me want to call it quits and cancel the next surgery. I'd like to tell them that every time they question the meds the doctor has given me, that they make me question my pain, and in turn, I think I must be a baby and this must be my fault. I'd like to tell them that every time I come into the office, I'm aware I might break down. So while talking to the nurse, the secretary, or the manager, or the doctor, I am at the same time trying to hold my emotions in so I don't end up in a puddle on the floor. I'd like to tell them that I'm tired. I'd like to tell them that no matter how much we try to fix my bones, that I will still feel broken. I'd like to tell them that while I'm smiling on the outside, inside, I'm excruciatingly reminded of why I'm here and in turn reliving my sexual assault and my traumatic birth. I'd like to tell them I am probably one of the toughest people that they have ever met. I'd like to tell them I've had enough of it all. I'd like to tell them that God has miraculously healed me and I have no need to come back. But most likely I won't tell them any of this and I will continue pushing forward. So far, two back pelvis surgeries, nine weeks, mostly in bed, using a walker, lots of pain meds, one more surgery to go. New me by January? Oh Lord, I sure hope so. This kind of shows you where I was at a year ago. I was trying to get my pelvis fixed and the pain to be done with that I had been in for so long. Um, but it didn't, it didn't. I went in there for help and I came out with more trouble. Um, so I did not get the next surgery. The next surgery was gonna be a pelvic plate. The doctor continued to treat me horrible and I decided I didn't want him to touch me again. I didn't want him to have performed surgery again. Um, so I didn't. So now I still struggle with pubis symphysis pain, with nerve damage. I had a nerve study done. It's moderate nerve damage. It has gotten better. I don't have to use a walker or a cane anymore, so I praise the Lord for that. I have recently found a new doctor 
who is amazing. And while he is not a surgeon, I don't want surgery. Um, he knows lots of other ways that we can work on strengthening and healing my body. And he doesn't just address the physical, but he also addresses the mental and spiritual side, which is what's needed in, in areas like this. Um, people who have had issues like me. Um, to had insult to injury while in midwifery school, which I still am in, and precepting, um, which means working with different midwives, apprenticing with them. Uh, my daughter came ill, became ill, and um, she has an unknown condition. Nobody knows what's wrong. Nobody knows what's caused it. Doctors can't figure it out. And I realize um, the stress that has put on me too and the things that I think of with my own issues um, that I'm talking to her about because I don't want her to feel that way. I want to be the best possible mom for them. I don't want them to ever feel like I'm lying to them. I want to be real and authentic with my children. And if I've learned anything from what I've gone through growing up, it's that I must be real and authentic with them and show them true love and love them unconditionally. There is no strings attached to how much I love my children. But also, there should be no strings attached to how much I love myself. And I'm telling that to you, Mama, out there right now. Do not put conditions on yourself. You should love you for you. Not if you're strong enough. Not if you do this, if you do that. If you accomplish this, if you accomplish that. It is not based on anything like that. You are a human being and you deserve love. You deserve to love yourself. You deserve to give yourself grace. And God gives you those same things. So I know that was kind of a, a long podcast today. Just kind of wanting to update and share a bit of my story. Um, so you guys can kind of see, you know, this is, this is where I am. That's what I've been through. I know there's a lot more to come. But I'm here to tell you. You don't have to remember all that's happened to you in your lifetime in order to be able to heal from it. I don't want any more memories. I don't want to know exactly what my great-grandfather did to me. I don't want to know why me and my little sister disappeared for days at a time. I don't want to know what happened. I do want to know that I can heal from it. My body can be restored, and I can have a beautiful, fulfilling life. And you can too. I wanted to share a little bit with you about love. Because it's, anyone who listens to the podcast knows I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Um... But he tells us that we are to love one another, which also means that we are to love ourselves. And in 1 John, the fourth chapter, he says, we, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born from God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know him, because God is truly love. 
And I want us to think about that. He says, Beloved, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. We abide in him. He abides in us. And therefore, the love that he gives us, we are to give to others. I just want to focus on that today, not focusing on the trauma, not focusing on the evilness that is out there and that can happen, but focusing on the love that we are to share with each other and that we are to give ourselves the love, the grace, the mercy. As much as we give others, we are to give even more so to ourselves. So I want to encourage you today. Healing is possible. While I am still in pain today, I'm on the road to recovery, and I've been healed of so much of the mental um, trauma and manipulation, and I look forward to the healing that is to come. So I just encourage you today that healing is to come. You can grow and learn, and you have beautiful days ahead of you. And if there's any way that I can help you or the Healing Trauma Mama group can help you, please just let me know. I am here. Feel free to email us at healingtraumamamas at gmail.com. You can join us on our Facebook group, Healing Trauma Mamas, or you are welcome to reach out to me personally. Um, and you can reach out to my personal Facebook. It's Madon Wingo, M-I-D-O-N-W-I-N-G-O. Or you can email me personally at racw2005 at yahoo.com. Hope you all have a blessed day. And um, I look forward to speaking with you next time, seeing who we're going to have on the podcast next time, and talking with each one of you in our Facebook group. Be encouraged today. And remember that God loves you. I love you. And you need to love Thank yourself. you for listening. May you be encouraged and strengthened by what you've heard today. Remember, you are dearly loved by your Creator, so be who He created you to be. May you go in peace, friends. Till next time, Shalom.